from root to fruit. Can you say that with me? Going from root to fruit. And uh, as we start tonight, and uh, I, I'm going to trust God for, for him to help us get this out and say everything he wants to say. But of course, one of the things that uh, uh, we're going to look at as we get started here tonight is what I call the process of the seed. The process of the seed. And uh, I'll tell you, the idea of the seed and the idea of sowing and reaping and harvest and all that are themes that are very, very well grounded in the Bible. If you don't know, now you know. The, these are important things in the Bible. As a matter of fact, God even said after, uh, um, after Noah's flood and after the waters dissipated, one of the things he said that uh, uh, summer and winter and cold and heat and sowing and reaping is going to keep on going. It's not going to stop. Sowing and reaping is something that's just built into the natural system of things. But I want you to know it's also a universal principle that doesn't just apply to what you're doing in your garden, but it also applies to what you're doing in your everyday life, what you're doing with your words, what you're doing with your finances, uh, or what you're doing in how you treat other people. It, it is just an amazing thing to see how the law of sowing and reaping is just absolutely, uh, there, there's no way you can go, nothing you can do, and not run into it somewhere. And besides that, Jesus uh, emphasizing himself as three of the gospel writers uh, take a look at what we call the parable of the sower. And what the sower went to, to sow, what he was sowing, and where he was sowing it. So there, there, there are some amazing things in the Bible, and I believe the Lord is going to help us to see wonderful things in his word tonight. First of all, let me refer to, you to, uh, to uh, Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 2. And right in the beginning of that verse, it says, You have planted them, yes, they have taken root, they grow, yes, they bear fruit. Of course, the sad part of the verse is what follows. It says, you are near in their mouth, but far from their mind. But here's the thing. We don't want to just be near to him with our mouth. We want our heart to be near him too. Are you with me? Yeah. But let's focus in just on the first part because that's the principle of what we want to see. You've planted them. Yes, they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bear fruit. And uh, what, what is the process of the seed? You can just wrap up in this little rhyme. The seed gets planted. The seed takes root. The seed grows up and produces fruit. Can you say it with me? The seed gets planted. The seed takes root. The seed grows up and produces fruit. One more time. The seed gets planted. The seed takes root. The seed grows up and produces fruit. Isaiah 27 Shows us this very same principle. And again, uh, verse 6 says, Those who come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. So once again, we see that same principle. Those who come, the seed gets planted, shall take root in Jacob. The seed takes root. Israel shall blossom and bud. The seed grows up and produces fruit. They fill the face of the world with fruit. We see that same idea once again. And even in the New Testament, in the writings of Paul, you see that same idea in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, where it says, as you have, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So you see the idea that we've received Christ Jesus the Lord over in verse 6. And so that, that's, that, that's where the seed got planted. And verse 7 starts off talking about you being rooted. So that seed obviously took root. And then talks about being built up in him. The seed's growing up. It's getting built up. And ultimately it's abounding. It's producing fruit. So that same idea of the seed gets planted, the seed takes root, the seed grows up and produces fruit. You, you see that theme in these verses here. But I must be honest with you tonight and tell you that works both positively and negatively. And there's a few ways it works negatively that we're going to take a look at real quick. 
Um, 1 Timothy 6.10 is a good example of that. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money, not money, the love of money, just want to be clear about that, is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So once again, you've got the seed getting planted, the love of money, and that seed takes root. It's a root of all kinds of evil. And then what it does, the way it grows up, rather than bringing you towards faith or causing you to grow in your faith, it helps you to stray from your faith. So it's reverse growth. It's growth in the direction you don't want to grow in. And then ultimately, the sad harvest and the sad production of this fruit is piercing yourself through with many sorrows. That's what the love of money does. But that's not what the blessing of the Lord does. See, the blessing of the Lord, Proverbs teaches you, will make rich and add no sorrow with it. This method of getting rich through the love of money, through covetousness, brings sorrow with it. So I'm kind of like the waiter at the restaurant tonight. How would you like your riches, with or without the sorrow? I'll take mine without the sorrow. Thank you very much. Let's look at one more verse that, that shows this process of the seed, but unfortunately on the negative side of it. Hebrews 12, if you look at 14 and 15, it says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So once again, that principle in verse 15, you see people falling short of the grace of God. And that's a bad seed to plant there. And then you see the root of bitterness taking place there, uh, t t uh, bitterness taking root, and then bitterness springing up. That means that bad seed's growing up, and the ultimate fruit that it produces is not just one or two being defiled by it, but it says by this many are defiled. That's not the kind of fruit any of us want in our life. Can I hear an amen? amen? But I want to just take some time to show you that principle in Scripture. The seed gets planted. The seed takes root. The seed grows up and produces fruit. Now, as we break this down a little bit more and understanding what, what we want to do tonight is we want to leave here with a greater understanding of the, the principles of the kingdom of God how the kingdom of God works. Because when you understand how the kingdom of God works, woo, ain't no stopping you now. Oh, I feel like singing tonight. But there ain't no stopping you when you know how the kingdom works. Glory to God. So, first things first, in, the, in, in our quest to go from root to fruit, is that you got to get out with the old before you get in with the new. Are you with me on that? You got to get out with the old before you get in with the new. And one thing that, oh, hallelujah. One thing I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to impart to many of you tonight is that there's too much old stumps, old weeds that have never been weeded out, stuff that's left over and sucking up the life in your spiritual garden that needs to be uprooted once and for all and removed to allow uh, all your ground to, to be able to, to provide nourishment for nothing but the good stuff. That, that, that old stuff old thinking, old habits, old patterns, old ways of talking and ways of acting. And you know, you, you, sometimes you're real good at church and then somebody just gets you the wrong way and you, you start moving your neck again and snapping that same old way you used to snap. And, and oh Lord. Uh, but but, but I, I, I do got to tell you, I believe that the Spirit of God is speaking very strongly tonight that, that, that the, the, the old stuff, it, it's time for that to get uprooted. It's time for that to get moved out 
so, so that your garden and your ground can experience nothing but the blessing of the good new plants that God wants to plant that will produce good fruit and that anything that's not producing good fruit ultimately gets the axe. Praise the Lord. So God is not only interested in getting the right seed planted in you, which results in good fruit, but he's also interested in removing the root of the bad seed that's been sown in you and by, by so doing, eliminating the bad fruit. Jesus said something in Matthew fifteen thirteen that I just love. He's speaking to the religious leaders when he said this, I believe. He said in verse 13 of Matthew 15, but he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Woo! How many of you, I won't look, but I, I can think of some of those plants that, uh, yeah, you look at them, you, you, uh, you check them out, you, you uh, think about the kind of uh, fruit they're producing, you say, yeah, the Heavenly Father did not plant that one. Come on now. All right, Matthew 3. Check this out. These are the words of John the Baptist, a fiery prophet. Woo! Listen to this, verse 10, 11 of Matthew 3. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, here's the thing. What, 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 what I want to do is I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, not just for the sake of uh, me being a firecracker for the Lord, but also for the sake of letting that same fire burn out the old stuff, the old stumps that need to be gotten rid of once and for all. Hallelujah. The, the, things, that, the things that cling. Uh, uh, things that... Uh, are, 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 it's not the will of God for them to be allowed to just keep on hanging out and sucking the life out of your garden. And I pray the Lord make that real, real crystal clear in our heart tonight. I mean, you know, I, I, if, if I thought of it sooner, I would have brought an axe with me tonight. And then you say, oh, Lord, there's a preacher with an axe. Let's get out of here. You, you know, often uh, people use the term, you know, if they're in a hurry, chop, chop. How many of you ever heard that? Chop, chop. Well, that's going to be the way you pray now as you're surrendering your old stumps to the Lord. You're going to go ahead and, uh, you know, uh, in a sense, lift your hands to the Lord as though you're holding up that old thing, that old stump, that, that thing that, that's producing bad fruit, draining life out of the garden, and say, Lord, I surrender. Chop, chop. Lay the axe to the root of the tree. I don't want this in my garden anymore. I don't want it. I don't need it. This thing has caused me nothing but trouble. I don't like the way this fruit tastes because it's bad fruit. I don't want bad fruit. I want good fruit. Glory to God. Yep, someone's going to be down here at the altar praying, chop, chop, Lord, chop, chop. Here we go. You know, there, there's a prophet that God gave a mission to. And, and the, the majority of the, the mission that God described to this prophet was just that, chop, chop. It's the prophet Jeremiah. Called as a child. To become prophet to the nations. And the Lord in this one uh, verse so beautifully illustrates his calling and what the Lord had called him and uh, uh, called him to do and equipped him to do. This is Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to do what? To root out and to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build, 
and to plant. Now keep that up there a minute. You notice that there's more things up there that have to do with getting out the old than there is about putting in the new. Woo! You know what? I'll tell you, um, my wife's around here somewhere tonight, and I, I, I mentioned to somebody today in conversation, uh, I was talking about her behind her back, but it was all good. Um, and and I, I said that, that when she got saved, she was on church prior to that. She's just a, what do you call a heathen? I mean, you don't, I mean, wasn't an atheist, but just wasn't going to church. And, and the thing is, is that in her case, that was a great blessing. Because you see, if you go to the wrong church, you get taught the wrong stuff, and then you get saved, you, it's a very difficult thing to go through the process of having to unlearn a bunch of stuff before you can actually really get a hold of the right stuff. I mean, unlearning, getting those old roots taken out, old ways of thinking, old things that people say about God that just ain't true about God. You know, some of the way preachers talk about God, woo, if, if he was here right now, uh, the, the authorities would be taking him away. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the way people talk about God can just blow you away sometimes. It makes me get fired up and say, don't talk about my daddy that way. You know what I mean? But, but, but what, what I'm saying is that in her case, the blessing that she had in her life, when she got saved, she didn't have to unlearn a bunch of religious stuff. She learned the truth the first time. She didn't have to unlearn, well, that sometimes God in his infinite wisdom uh, will just put cancer on you someday because he just feels like it. You know, I know that sounds crazy and drastic, but there's people that really think that way. Yeah. And, and so what a blessing for her that she didn't have to unlearn anything and that she was in a position to just learn the word, the, the true word, the true gospel, the first time, and glory to God, uh, ended up being ahead of the game. So at, at a point where she was saved for four, five, six years, she was already Really, in my opinion, call me biased if you want to, but, but in my opinion, ahead of the game of many others. Because uh, some people uh, just didn't take their walk so seriously. But she did. But then one of the advantages that she had is that she could just start from, from ground zero and move on up where some people had to w work just to get back to ground zero. You know what I mean? That, that process of uprooting stuff and getting stuff out before you can really start making the progress you want to make and the uprooting before the new rooting starts taking place. And that was one of the things that really impressed me about her. Hey, yeah, I'm feeling good tonight. Praise the Lord. So, so we, we see this idea here in the Word of God that God would send a prophet who had to do twice the amount of cleaning up that he, the, be, before he could actually plant the new stuff and the right stuff that God wanted to plant and build. Isn't that amazing? So that just tells you how much God prioritizes the process of getting out the old in order to make room for the new to be able to, to grow and to be planted with no competition in the soil. You know what I mean? No competition in the soil. I mean, no weeds and flowers growing in the same place. No weeds competing for the nourishment that's coming out the soil and taking away from what the flowers need. Come on, somebody. All right. 2 Corinthians 10 is another verse, uh, verse 3 through 5, another section of Scripture that talks about the uprooting process. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 
So here, once again, you see the big emphasis on the need uh, to get rid of things that don't agree with God. Get rid of things that are not promoting obedience to Christ. Uh, strongholds, things that have a strong hold on you. Hey, if you want to know what a stronghold is, <laughs> it's pretty obvious. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Anything that says, yeah, I know God said that, but. Yeah, those things. Those are good things to clear out of your garden. Amen. You see, there's the necessity to get the junk out. Uh, 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 as a believer, your spirit's a new creation in Christ. But, but the Bible still talks about the, the need for the renewing of the mind. And uh, uh, one of the biggest areas where cleanup has to take place is right here. Old thoughts, old patterns, old ways of seeing the world, and most importantly, and most common, old ways of seeing yourself. Preach it. Because by seeing yourself through old glasses and seeing yourself as in line with what you might call B.C. thinking, B.C. being before Christ, um, that there, uh, uh, if you carry that on into your Christian life, then you are, here you are a new creature, still thinking about yourself like you're the same old creature. Second yeah. Corinthians 5, 17 says it so well. Praise the Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. Praise the Lord. And yet at the same time, do you quote that you got those old glasses on that see you the same old way? And the Bible says something very important about the way you see you. And it's not in the notes, but I'm going to call for it anyhow because I'm brave like that. Y'all ready for me? Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. And this is one little detour, but it's a worthy one. Because it's very important for us to not view life as we used to view life. You know, Jesus talked about if you had the speck in your eye, well, in this case, you might have an old stump in your eye because you're still trying to view life and view yourself through that old stump that should be plucked up and uprooted and out of the way. Praise the Lord. So whenever you all have that Philemon chapter 1, verse 6, it's worth the wait. Here we go. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. You're thinking of yourself according to B.C. You're talking about yourself according to how things used to be. You're talking about yourself really, in a sense, as though nothing really did change. The reality of what happened in Christ is still real, but the way you talk about it, you're talking about it as though it's just the same old thing, and you're the same old you with the same old problems and the same old way of thinking, and that not a whole lot has changed. But the Bible tells us to acknowledge every good thing which is in you, not because of how cute you are, but because you are in Christ Jesus. And it's all right to do that. It's all right to put on your new creation glasses and start seeing yourself and viewing yourself, not according to how to used to, but now to see yourself how God sees you through the blood, how God sees you with a robe of righteousness on, how God sees you in Christ. Mm. Hallelujah. 
Which is a good point to go to this. Luke 17. That's a perfect introduction for this. Because, you see, what we're going to do here, is we're going to go ahead and see that the very way, the very tool that we can use to uproot things, Jesus talks about it. This is something that you've got that you can use to uproot things. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. You are a believer, right? Now, I never heard of a believer without faith, because a believer believes. That's what makes you a believer. Hey, heavy, heavy, somebody, come on. So, if you're a believer, you believe, Romans 12, 3 says this, that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You got something to get started with. Don't, don't leave it. Don't leave it right where it's at. You know, the, the, the Bible talks about your faith growing. Your faith grows exceedingly. The, the Bible talks people having little faith. The Bible talks about people having great faith. I mean, go ahead and start with the measure you got and work it and use it and grow it until you get to the point where you got great faith. But the thing that I want to see in Luke 17, 6, if you can put it up one more time, it says that with faith, you can pull things up by the roots. And you, as a believer, have faith. Use what you have. How can you do this? Well, you see, one of the number one things to, to understand about faith is that faith in the Word is always connected. You see, well, you say, I have faith in God, but why do you have faith in God? Because of the reliability of what God says. And, of course, you've got reliability in what he says because you know his character. So, so see, uh, God the person and God the word are all, I mean, you, you can't separate them. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You can't separate God and the word. So by understanding that, that, that that's the, the, the place where our faith is grounded. And so therefore, any act of faith always has to do with, with being connected with the Word, being grounded in the Word, uh, uh, with, with the Word as, as the, the, the foundation that holds it up. So therefore, you hear the Word, what happens? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. You speak the Word you're releasing faith out of your heart. You act upon the word, faith without acts, faith without works or corresponding actions is dead, James says. So the very fact that you're acting on the word is an expression of your faith. So you're hearing it, you're speaking it, and you're acting on it. And, and here's the thing, I would encourage you in this way, if you, know, if you know what some of the stumps are, go ahead and find scriptures that, that deal with that area that you need to target. If, if you're a person who, who's dealing with uh, uh, sickness and it seems that there's one physical battle after another after another, what you want to do is you want to go ahead and break out those good old uh, healing scriptures. And, and I mean, you just night and day eat them up. Think about them at night. Have them all over your, your car, anywhere you see stuff. Refrigerator magnets, post-it notes at the office, whatever you got to do. You're just keeping this in front of you all the time. And the thing is, if you've got problem with anger... And then that's the, the, the old stump that you're carrying around. There's lots in the Word that talks about being free from anger. Glory to God. And, and so whatever it is that, that you need to target, get a hold of the Word in that area, and you hear the Word on that area, get, get a good message on it and hear it, and you speak it to yourself. You speak those same words, those same scriptures to yourself. And, and, and you're conscientiously 
acting on the word in those areas, which means you're doing it on purpose. I mean, nobody says, whoops, I was just a doer of the word. That don't happen. <laughs> nobody said, oh, I just accidentally did the word. No, you accidentally don't do the word. When you do the word, you're doing it on purpose. Intentionality, somebody. So you can use the word and your faith in God's word regarding whatever the, the stump is that you need to uproot. And listen to this very closely. You can use that word to uproot the bad, and you can use that same word to plant the good. Come on, somebody. The same word that is used to uproot the bad is the same word that plants the good. Hallelujah. And so, therefore, as you're going ahead and uprooting with your faith, faith is also a way that you plant seed, too. And it's that double process of uprooting what's wrong and planting what's right. Uprooting what's wrong and planting what's right. Glory to God. That is just absolutely something that you, you can't live life without doing that. You, you, don't go another day without doing that. Let this be part of your regular routine, your regular spiritual discipline. Let this be how you live your life. Amen. Woo. Praise the Lord. James 1. This just says it real well. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. By the way, if you look at the context in which this is written, a few verses before you see this is written to the brethren. So this is being written to saved people, the brethren and the sistren. <laughs> saved people, all right? Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. What's that sound like? That sounds like the uprooting process, don't it? And now th this is what's getting planted in its place. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, an interesting thing I just told you, this is being written to save people. So you ever wonder why would he need to tell saved people how to do something to help save them if they're saved? Well, here's the thing. The saving of your souls, I believe, is the same thing as what Scripture also calls the renewing of the mind. See, he's talking to save people here, but there's another part of them that needs to be saved. See, their mind might still be uh, filled with, with old stumps and old ways of thinking, and old ways of seeing the world and seeing other people and always seeing other people is against them. And some people think, oh, the, the man is against me. And, but, but, but here's the thing. The man, when you measure him up against the Lord himself, the man can't stop you. Glory to God. Whoever the man is. There's no stopping you. Hallelujah. Amen. So, so the, this part of this process of saving your souls, how does it happen? Is laying aside old stuff and letting the new stuff get planted. And in that process, you're saving your soul. You're renewing your mind. Glory to God forever. Do you see that in the Word tonight? Amen. Let's go on. And this is a very big part of what I need to communicate to you tonight as we're going from root to fruit. It's not just about the seed. It's about the kind of ground. We're not diminishing the seed, but it's not just about the seed. It is also very much about the kind of ground that the seed is getting planted in. 
And Jesus said about what we're going to read right now, otherwise known as the parable of the sower, he said, if you got this one, you got them all. So let's take a look and read the parable of the sower together out of Matthew 13. We'll read part of it now and then break it up and read a little bit more later. But uh, we'll begin with verse 18, Matthew 13. And uh, this is Jesus explaining the parable of the sower to his disciples. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world, uh, choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. There's more to it, but we're going to stop right there for a minute. I want you to notice that there are two things mentioned that are the enemy of the seed's success. And Jesus obviously said that the seed is the word, so we know we're talking about the word here. But the two enemies of the seed's success is the wicked one. That's obvious. But he also talks about poor ground conditions. So in one place, it was wayside ground. In another place, it was stony places. Then in another place, it was a thorny place. And in all three of those conditions, even though the same good seed was planted there, the same good seed did not produce any good fruit in any of those kinds of ground. So we see the wicked one at work because he wants to steal the seed. But we see poor ground conditions as being an enemy of the seed's success from keeping it from growing and becoming all it can be and should be. But there was nothing wrong with the seed. Can't be anything wrong with the seed, especially if the seed is the word. Ain't nothing wrong with the word. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my word, Jesus said, will never pass away. I mean, we're talking about the word of the everlasting God. I mean, God's not a man that he should lie. Hey, neither the son of man that he should repent. We're talking about uh, my covenant I will not break, nor will I alter that which goes forth out of my lips. The word of God. That's what the seed is. And yet, you have the word of God being planted in places and not producing anything. The word of God. Yeah, the word works. Hallelujah. The word never fails. Hallelujah. And that's true. And that's right. When the seed's planted in the right kind of ground. But here are cases where the word of the everlasting God was planted in the kind of ground that absolutely did not produce a thing. Various kinds of ground had the same seed scattered over it. The same seed can have different results in different people's hearts and lives. That's not a reflection on the seed. That's not the seed showing favorites. That's a reflection on the ground that the seed is being sown or planted in. Glory to God. Hebrews 4 Two. This is talking about the, the children of Israel here. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Imagine they heard the word and did not get the profit that comes from the word. 
Same thing we see in the parable. If the ground's not right, that same seed can be planted there. The potential's there. The potential, there's no problem with the potential in the seed. I mean, that's the word of God. That, that created everything. So there's no problem there. Where's the problem? The problem is in the kind of ground that the seeds get planted in. So what can we do about that? Well, it's interesting. Two things that I want to give you a hint on. One thing that Jesus said in Mark chapter 4 and verse 24, he said this after talking about the the parable of the sower and explaining it. He said, first of all, he said to them, take heed what you hear. You see that? But that's not the only thing he said. Yep, take heed what you hear. Make sure you're hearing the word. Make sure you're hearing the right thing. And understand, like he said, with the same measure you use, it'll be measured to you. And to you, hear more will be given. But that's not the only thing he said about hearing. Go to Luke 8. Therefore, take heed how you hear. I'll just sit down and look at y'all for a minute. (laughs) Hey, this feels good. Not just take heed what you hear. Take heed how you hear. Make sure you're hearing the word. Absolutely. Top priority. But take heed how you hear has to do with what kind of ground you are. What kind of ground that seed's being planted in. That has to do with how you hear. Because you can put yourself in a the best position to be able to hear, receive, and do. Hear, receive, and do. But if you got stumps there, you're going to hear the word and say, oh yeah, but. Oh yeah, the Bible says that. Well, that's not the way my old church taught me. Or you'll you hear this. Yeah, the Bible says that, but you don't know what old what's-her-name did to me. And what are those yeah buts? That's what Paul talked about, 2 Corinthians 10, that stuff that's putting itself in a higher position above the Word of God and the knowledge of God. And, and we, we see that here very clearly. So no yeah buts. You're just receiving the Word of God absolutely with nothing blocking, with, with, with nothing in the way, with... with Uh, you are prepared to say, Lord, whatever it is, I'm ready. And in any way I'm not ready, help my own readiness. Like the guy who said, Lord, I believe, help my own belief. (laughs) In that same way, Lord, just go ahead and give it to me, give it to me straight, I need it. If you got it, I need it. And the approach to the word as not being one where you're going to go ahead and pick and choose Go through my word buffet. I take some of that and some of that and some of that, but I don't want none of that. You can't play that game with God. Because it's going to be absolutely crystal clear that some of those things you want to skip in the buffet line are the very things that you need to straighten yourself out. So we need to take heed to what kind of seed we allow to be planted in our heart, but we also need to take heed how we hear, take heed to the condition of the ground that the seed's being planted on. Now, what does good ground look like? We see the importance of being good, good ground. Now, we're going to look at a verse out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the three gospel writers that laid out the parable of the sower. And we're, every one of them has a, a distinction that, that I want to focus in on. Just the way they say something that adds an element to it that, that, that is really, uh, uh, really unique to that gospel. So what does good ground look like? First of all, Matthew 13, 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground 
is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. This is a person who understands the word. Is literally, if uh, the, the Greek word uh, uh, kind of ha- carries the essence of putting it together, what I call connecting the dots. Well, I'd really like to have understanding. I'd really like to understand the word. I really, really would. But I just don't. But the thing is, that don't sell with God. That don't sell with the one who said, with all your getting, get yourself some understanding. Just not get it, get it. G-I-T, get it. So whether or not you have understanding of the word, a lot of that lies on you. Especially, even if you don't get it, if you know somebody who does get it, man, I tell you what, I'd be bothering that person all day long. I mean, I'd... I mean, they, they see me coming, they want to run. It's like, here he comes again. Here comes that hungry person that ain't going to leave me alone that wants to get some understanding of the word. Come on. With all the tools that we have available to us today, with the fact that you can just go ahead and tune into the church podcast and listen to the same message 20 times in a week if you want to, there is no reason to not have understanding of the word. Mark chapter 4. Same parable, same description, but everyone has a different element to it. Verse 20, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. The idea of accepting the word, that's a decision. You don't automatically just accept it. You make a decision to accept it. To, to receive it, to take it up, literally to take upon oneself, to admit. Admit like uh, uh, you, you, you ever see a sign that said no admittance? That means you can't come in there. Well, to admit means that you can come in. So to admit means I'm going to go ahead and let this come into me. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to accept it. I'm not going to reject it. And literally the Greek word d- describing Accept, which I believe in the, the original King James is the word receive, uh, even ha- carries the connotation of how you receive a child. A- and literally that you're acknowledging as one's own. You're acknowledging as your own. So what if you were to hear the word in a way where you acknowledged it as your own? As a matter of fact, doing a little study once upon a time, probably maybe late 90s by now, I was studying the word amen. And there's just a certain element of the word amen. And of course, people say, yeah, amen, so be it. And yes, it does mean that, but it means more. Uh, Part of the reason or part of the way that the word amen was actually used is that When the preacher would say something and somebody say amen, they're literally saying, that's mine. They're literally personally laying claim to what was just said. And that's the same thing here. That you are receiving this, you're acknowledging this as though it is your own. Because it is. It's God's very own word to you. Look at Luke 8. Verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Wow. Hear the word with a good heart. The condition of your ground, there it is, has a lot to do with your heart. Acts seventeen eleven describes this, that there was a group uh, uh, that... 
that were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. It's talking about the, the Bereans that said that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. But look at that. They received the word with all readiness. Part of having good ground is I'm ready to hear it, I'm ready to get it, and I'm ready to leave this place and start doing it right away. That's good ground. This has to do with the, the way you receive the word. Uh, re re receiving the word, hearing it with a noble and good heart. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the words of Paul. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you receive the word of God in which you heard from us. He's talking about not just what you heard here, he's talking about how you heard it. Catch this, catch it, catch it. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. When you hear the word and you say, well, that, yeah, pastor, that's a nice sermon. Praise the Lord. If you just receive it as the word of a man, that's not carrying any kind of punch in your life, somebody. I mean, the, the punch in the punch bowl would be carrying more punch than just the word of a man. But if you hear something, you recognize that even though it's coming through a man, that it's, it's just the water coming through the hose. That's not the word of a man. That's the word of God. Woo! When you receive it as the word of God. See, those are good ground issues right there. That's when it packs the maximum punch of the effectiveness it can have in your life. Glory to God. Of course, Luke said, having heard the word with an open good heart, and then what you do, you keep it. Woo! The definition of keep, uh, as new, used in the New Testament, this word as it's used in the New Testament has to do with holding fast, keeping in mem memory. Possessing, retaining. That means I'm holding on to it and not letting it go. Glory to God. Hebrews 2.1 carries the essence of that when it says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. I'm holding on to this thing and I ain't letting it go. I'm holding on to it. I'm, letting it, I'm not letting it go. I'm keeping it. Which means that I'm holding fast to it. I'm keeping it in my memory. Which means I'm meditating on it. Hey. <laughs> and I'm possessing it and retaining it. 1 Corinthians 15. Go ahead and skip verse 1. Let's go right to 2. 1 Corinthians 15, 2. Talking about the gospel by which you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you. Holding fast to the word. This is good ground. When you take it and you absolutely have every intention to hold on to that thing and not let it go. Glory be to God. And I, I'll tell you, uh, Sound Booth, we're going to go ahead and skip a few things here as we're getting close to the end. But then, of course, Luke also brings this out about good ground. That, that when you bear fruit, you bear fruit with patience. Which means this, that, that you don't get mad just because it don't happen all at once. Just because you don't just, boom, have nothing one day and then a full-grown pomegranate the next day. Because that's not the way things grow. You bear fruit with patience, which lets me know it's progressive. And Jesus said in Mark 4, 26 to 28, you don't have to put that up, but you can look at it later. He's talking about the, the process of things and that the way things grow, first comes the blade, then comes the head. After that, the full grain in the head. So Jesus, in describing how something grows, it, it starts off as just a little blade. It's not the full grown thing all at once. So when you bring forth fruit, how do you bring forth fruit? With patience. Glory to God. Because it starts little. But then it gets bigger. And then it becomes all that is intended to be by God. Hallelujah. But the bottom line of all of this, the bottom line of getting God's landscaping company into your garden, 
to uproot all of that old stuff and put in the new stuff is so that the new stuff can grow unhindered without the old stuff choking it and produce maximum fruit. Bearing fruit is God's bottom line. Second Kings 19.30. Hey, love it. Says the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Say that with me. Take root downward, bear fruit upward. Which means that when you're in the season of getting roots, that's not a real spectacular time. That's not a real, ooh, it's so exciting. You know why? Because it's happening under the ground and you can't see it happening. But that part of the process is so important because if you don't bear, uh, if, if you don't take root downward, you'll never have the chance to bear fruit upward. So important. Never, never, never underestimate the importance of taking root. Because the stronger the root, glory to God, then we're going to have more fun when fruit time comes. As a matter of fact, you know, John the Baptist, Luke chapter 1, verse 8 in the King James Bible, you can put that one up there. Listen to this. Uh, It says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. You might look at that and say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, this is the key. The growing comes before the showing. The growing comes before the showing. So he was growing when nobody knew who John the Baptist was. He was growing when he was just hanging out there in the desert and there weren't any flocks of people coming in to, to the wilderness to hear this wild prophet preach. The growing comes before the showing. And it's once again the example of when the root is becoming strong and being all it needs to be, that happens underground. That happens in a way that's not so obvious. But you bear fruit with patience, which means you just happily keep on going along, even if it's happening underground. Because you know what happens underground first. The growing comes before the showing. I, I take root downward so I can bear fruit upward. Hallelujah. And finally, someone said, praise the Lord. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 first, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Can I talk to somebody tonight and tell you that when the Lord is your hope, that you put yourself in a position as a good ground person. See, good ground does not mean that everything is always just perfect around you. You can have good ground and it can be hot outside. You can have good ground and it can be drought outside. But when you're good ground, that means you got roots that are deeply rooted in him. Deeply rooted in the rivers of living water, somebody. Deeply rooted in the one who will bring nourishment to you. So, so the elements of the heat and the drought and those conditions don't mess with your fruit. Don't mess with your harvest. Don't mess with your potential to produce. Glory to God. Because your roots are in the river. Someone say, my roots are in the river. I'm gaining nourishment from the river. 
And therefore, if heat comes, so what? I ain't scared. I ain't scared of a little triple-digit heat. So I'm staying in this kitchen because I can stand the heat. Hey. So I say, I ain't worried about drought. Ain't no drought here. I'm eating good in the neighborhood. Come on, somebody. This is a little bit of a picture on how you can get from root to fruit. Praise God. Glory to God. Glory to God forever. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray tonight. Father, we honor you. We're so blessed tonight. We love you so much, and we see the great, great things that are available to us in you, in your word, and in Christ. Oh, we're so grateful. Thank you for it, Lord. If there's anybody here tonight, and you're saying, hey, one of two things.